Well, good morning, everyone. I want to say thank you to the worship team for leading us this morning. Thank you for leading us into God's presence, and uh, we look forward to wrapping up our time this morning with, a, with another song. Um, in case we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Pastor Josh. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, if we haven't had a chance to talk, or maybe it's been a while, feel free to catch me in the foyer. I'd love to have a, just to say hi and catch up a little bit if there's th- things to catch up on. We'd love to have a chance to have a conversation. You know, more than, more than a few years now, I, I had a friend of mine who was getting married, and uh, a week or so before the wedding, uh, his best man and the, the rest of the wedding party thought, hey, let's get a group of guys together and go out for dinner. And I thought, great, I got invited, sweet, great. And so as I pulled into the restaurant parking lot, there across the parking lot in front of the restaurant was my friend getting married, and attached to him was a prop ball and chain. It wasn't exactly the mature conversation about marriage that, marriage that you'd think a bunch of people in their late 20s, early 30s should be having, but that's, that, that was what he was wearing. Now, immaturity aside, a joke like this uh, it highlights the reality that whenever we choose to uh, attach ourselves with another person or join ourselves to another person, um, and if we're committed for that re- to that relationship being all that it could be, that life as we know it changes, and there's things about ourselves that we end up giving up. But unlike that vision of a prison sentence, we do that because we think what we're getting in return is, is more than worth it. You know, the loyalty of a good friend, the unconditional love of a, of a romantic partner, the benefits of a personal, uh, of a business relationship, all of that we deem, you know, it's worth it. What we get in return is worth setting aside our independence and our autonomy because we, what we get in return, we say, that is good, and we think that, that it's worth it. You know, as Jesus talks about his coming death with his disciples, he talks about an exchange that each of his followers must make. And he talks about it in terms of denying ourselves and following Jesus. And in doing so, he tells them that they will find something better. And this idea of giving up something and, and in getting something better in return is going to be the focus of our teaching time between now and Easter during this season called Lent. Now, traditionally, uh, during Lent, uh, people will talk about giving up certain luxuries. Maybe it's coffee or alcohol or, or uh, entertainment. And they talk about giving up these things for a period of time um, during the season of reflection as we think about Jesus' suffering and his death. And for those who participate in this practice, what they often find is that they discover freedom. They, f- they discover something good in the practice of giving up some of these things for a short period of time. And what they they discover is that, you know, some of these things that aren't necessarily bad, you know, can creep into places of prominence and and we can find ourselves depending on them in ways that maybe we, we wouldn't think are healthy. And so a new perspective and a heart focus, a new heart focus can be the result. But this focus of our series over the next couple weeks, um, do I need to adjust this, Chris? Or, no? Okay, good. Um, the focus of our, our, our series over the next couple weeks will be a little bit different than talking about a typical Lenten fast. Instead, we're going to focus on some things that may become maybe a part of our lives that maybe aren't good for us. And the idea that we're going to be discussing is that maybe we need to give these things up, and in giving them up, that we might find something better something that is more life-giving. And this morning, we want to talk about our relationship with control. 
Now, when it comes to talking about control, we need to acknowledge that all of our, each of our experiences with control are quite different. Some of us in this room feel like we have very little control over what's going on in our lives, while some of us are feeling quite independent and autonomous. We feel like we have a decent say in what is happening in our lives. Um, but while our experience with control can be quite diverse, what we want to reflect on this morning is what is our relationship with the control that we have? You know, here's something that I've, I've recently realized about myself, is that I am so used to being in the driver's seat, like literally driving in my car, that whenever I get into a passenger seat and somebody else is driving, that I am nervous. And not necessarily because the person driving is a bad driver, that's not the case. Usually they're a great driver, but I'm, I find myself nervous because I'm used to being in control. I'm used to being in charge, and my, my attachment to control in this case is impacting my life. I am unable to relax and actually enjoy the company of the person that I'm with when I'm sitting in the passenger seat, and I don't like that. So actually, one of the things I'm trying to do is go in the passenger seat more often and try to you know, freak myself out of being scared or something. I don't know. But I try to recognizing that's something I'm not happy with about that my attachment to control in that way. Now, I don't want us to, to think that wanting to have a say in our circumstances is a bad thing. But the thing about control is that if we aren't careful, our need to control our circumstances can cause us to lose sight of what is really important, things that are really good. In fact, one of the lies that I think that we can find ourselves believing is, hey, if I just had a little bit more control, then life would be better. Or if I had more control of that, then I'd finally be happy. But I wonder if control is one of those things where having more of it doesn't actually get us what it is that we think we're looking for. Instead, we can take control to an extreme. And in doing so, we can lose the ability to see beyond ourselves. See, the lure of control can cause us to miss out on things that might be better. And so what we want, what we need, really, is a better relationship with control. And that might even lead to us feeling like we're giving up control in the process. And so the big idea that we want to explore this morning is that a right relationship with control is shaped by our relationship with God. And so that's what we want to explore this morning. And to help us explore this thought, we are going to be looking at a piece of scripture from Matthew chapter 4, often known as the temptation of Jesus. And I'm going to ask Hannah to come on up and read it for us this morning. Then Jesus was led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he ate nothing and became very hungry. Then the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, change these stones into loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say, People need more than bread for their life. They must feed on every word of God. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He orders his angels to protect you, and they will hold you with their hands to keep you from striking your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say, Do not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him the nations of the world and all their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, 
if you will only kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God, serve only him. Then the devil went away, and angels came and cared for Jesus. Thanks, Hannah. You know, if we were to just pause for a moment and go back and look at the pieces of scripture that came before what Hannah read for us, we would see that Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist. And here we have this dramatic moment when the heavens open up, the spirit descends like a dove, and God, God voices, God the Father speaks words of approval over Jesus. It's a dramatic moment where we have all members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit being present in that moment. And you know what? If that had been the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, we would have said, that makes sense. It's a moment in time that, that highlights the connection between God and Jesus that got people's attention. And, and you might think, find yourself saying, like, you have to take control of that kind of push and make the most of it, right? But this isn't what we see Jesus doing here. Instead, we are told that he's prompted by the Holy Spirit to withdraw into the wilderness for a time of preparation. Now, as a bit of a side, you know, for us, we can find ourselves frequently thinking that life is just way too busy, can't we? You know, we have things that are pressing, there are deadlines to meet, there are messages to respond to, there are things that we want to do, there are things that we need to do. There often seems to be no time. But if we pay attention to what we see Jesus doing here, we realize that maybe, maybe we need to make time. I mean, we, we couldn't have blamed Jesus if Jesus had just rushed into ministry. There were people to see. There were people who needed him. And yet we see Jesus step back to prepare. And if Jesus needs to do this, how much more do we need to do this? You know, if we actually took the time to, to slow down and to, to step back and to engage in some of these activities that center our hearts and our minds on Jesus, you know what I think we'd find? I think that we, we would find that we would be more effective in Jesus-like ways than we would have thought possible. And so let me just give another nudge here for this reset retreat. That what we've got going on here today, uh, between today and tomorrow, is an opportunity for us to step back. And maybe we don't feel like we have time to do that. But in giving up that time, I firmly believe that we will find something better, something more than what we are expecting. And I don't think you'll regret it. Now, getting back to our, our, our passage, it's the devil's intention here to tempt Jesus to turn his back on his purpose. And as we look at how, how Satan attempts to tempt Jesus, it starts with an appeal to Jesus' ego by calling into question Jesus' identity as God's son. Twice he says, if you are the son of God, he's like testing him, he's pushing him. And then he suggests some ways in which it would be maybe better if Jesus took control of his situation for himself. And in this offer of control, Satan subtly invites Jesus to step back from his commitment to God and to God's mission in some ways that I think we can relate to. The first is that, you know what, we can be tempted to use our means to get what we want. In our passage this morning, we see Satan trying to exploit Jesus' human weaknesses. You know, Jesus has been engaged in a period of fasting and, and, and a period of preparation, and he's hungry. It's an obvious statement. He has, he's been fasting for 40 days, and he is hungry. And so Satan tells Jesus, hey, you know what you should do? You should use your available power and turn those stones over there into something that you can eat. 
Now, on the one hand, Satan's suggestion here is just about food. It's just about bread. But there's another layer to it. See, Jesus has all power and all authority, and in theory, he could do whatever he wanted. But the question is, how will he use the power that he has? Will he stay firm to his commitment to use it as a part of God's kingdom mission? Or will he use it to control his circumstances to make himself more comfortable? See, this is a test of Jesus' commitment to God's mission. You know, regardless of who we are, we each have some means available to us. We have some power, we have some influence, some resources, and things that we can use in a whole variety of ways. Some of us have a lot, others of us have a little, but we each have means available to us. And the temptation is to grab tight control of whatever it is that we have to satisfy our various appetites and to get what we want out of life. And let's be honest, there are things that we, that we want that we feel like, hey, they would just make life a whole lot more comfortable and a whole lot more enjoyable. And most of the time, you know, what we have in mind could be considered to be a luxury or an extra. But we can find ourselves focusing in on these things to the point that we are convinced that we can't live without them. And the temptation that we face may be to elevate these things to becoming priorities and the result being that there could be little, if anything, left to do what God is calling us to do. As Jesus' followers, we are called to be a part of one another's lives. We are called to be working for justice. We are called to be radically generous and to be embodying the life and love of the kingdom of God for all to see. When we become focused on using whatever means we have to get the things that we want or the experiences that we want, when that becomes our priority, then we can easily lose sight of what Jesus is inviting us to be a part of. You know, I'm not sure exactly when in my life this happened, but by grade seven, um, by grade seven, I really cared about how I looked. I mean, it's, it's subjective. Okay, I'm a, I'm a short, stubby guy. You know, caring about how I looked is, there was a limits to it. Okay, but still, you know, by grade seven, I cared about how I looked. And what I mean is, like, before that, I was the kid going to school with bedhead and didn't care one little bit about it. And then something changed, probably puberty and girls, but something changed there. And then I, really, I wanted my hair to look nice, and I wanted my, my clothes to look cool, because I cared about the way that other people saw me. And what I was trying to do was I was trying to cultivate an image of myself that I thought other people would like. Now, while it's not limited to our sense of style, some of us spend a fair amount of time and energy trying to control or trying to influence how other people think of us, don't we? We could be concerned with how our friends perceive us or, or maybe with our reputations at, at, among our colleagues at work or even our reputations in an online community. And what we end up doing is we end up putting energy into curating an image of ourselves that we think will impress other people. See, we can be tempted to try to control how other people see us. In our passage today, I think we see Satan tapping into this desire to try to take charge of how other people see us. When he, and we see this when he asks Jesus to climb to the top, or he brings Jesus to the top of the highest point uh, of the temple. And, and he says, hey, throw yourself off of this, because you know what? God's going to send his angels. He's going to swoop in there, and he's going to save you. Why don't you just do that? And the temptation here is subtle. And the question is, does the Father really know what was best? And it's paired with the suggestion about how Jesus could get a much quicker following. You know, Jesus, if you just took control of the situation, and you just did this publicity stunt, people would flock to you 
you would be popular. You would get the following that you need. You would get the platform where, that you need for people to hear you. Jesus, just, why don't you just do this? You know, we can put uh, a lot of time and energy into crafting and protecting an image of ourselves. But the thing is, I, I, we can put all that energy into it, but I think what we realize is that we don't often get out of it what we're hoping we will. What we're craving is we're craving a stable identity. But this process of trying to control the image that others have of us, it doesn't get us there. And so we can find ourselves uh, being worn out and, and exhausted just trying to keep up. You know, who we are starts to feel like a series of publicity stunts that we have to keep up to, that we have to continually live up to. You know, the stunt that Satan suggested to Jesus would, would have gotten him famous really quick. It really would have. But it wouldn't have reflected who Jesus really was. In fact, as we look at Jesus' life and ministry, there are tons of times where Jesus tells people who have just witnessed him or experienced him do a miracle, and he says, hey, keep this to yourself. Because he didn't want to be misunderstood. He is not a showy miracle worker. And if that's what people thought he was, if that's all that they thought he was, the message of the kingdom would have gotten lost. And it would have gotten lost if he started with the spectacle that Satan was suggesting. You know, when our focus is on crafting and protecting an image of ourselves, we can lose sight of who we were designed to be. See, we were each created uh, to understand ourselves best in light of our connection to Jesus. And that connection is deeply rooted and can weather all sorts of ups and downs in, in ways that far exceed what we often try to make happen for ourselves. The last observation from this passage is that we can be tempted to try to control our futures. And in the last temptation, Satan shows, us a, a, sort of Satan shows Jesus a vision of all the kingdoms of the world and their wealth, and he promises it to Jesus if Jesus will stop and worship Satan. I mean, the first two temptations are a little bit more subtle. This one, there's no subtlety to it. At least Satan's being upfront here. Jesus, I will make you super-duper rich if you renounce God and you worship me. Plain and simple. Now, it might, have seemed, might seem a little bit too obvious of a ploy, but we have to remember that Jesus has left the comfort and the glory of being God to be human. And he's currently hungry, uncomfortable, and in the middle of nowhere. And so I think that this offer would have been rather appealing. I mean, his life could be different. It could be radically different. This week, uh, we had an appointment with our financial advisor, and the idea behind this meeting was that we wanted to get a better understanding of our financial situation so that we could figure out how do we plan for the future. In what we're talking about this morning here, I want to be clear that I don't think that planning ahead is a bad thing. You know, having meetings with your financial advisor is not a bad thing. But where we could go wrong is if we determined a course of action that would mean that we would avoid faithfully following Jesus. You know, as we consider our futures, there are going to be times when we see visions of, of, of what could be for us and for our families that on face value look way too good to pass up. But we need to consider, about, we need to consider whether we would be bypassing our calling as followers of Jesus in order to achieve that. Here's the thing about what Satan's doing here. Everything that he was offering to Jesus already belonged to Jesus. It already did. But what Satan was telling him, was pointing at is like, you could have it all, 
and avoid the need for suffering and dying later. This was the promise of a much less painful future that would have been really hard to pass up. You know, later, as Jesus teaches his disciples, he, he talks about how it's possible to gain, our whole, gain the whole world and lose our souls. And that is to say that you can try to have everything. You can try to have it all. You can try to be the richest, most popular, most influential person. But in pursuing, what, pursuing it, we might just find that we don't actually get what we're looking for. And in fact, we've lost a whole lot in the process. But the temptation to seize control so that we can have it all is real. And we're going to face that. Now, this morning, as we're talking about control, uh, you know, we've just talked about three areas that we might be tempted to try to hold tightly to control um, and to be controlling about in our own lives. But the big idea this morning is not that control is bad. It really isn't. But our big idea is that a right relationship with control is shaped by our relationship with God. And I think that if we look at how Jesus navigates these temptations that Satan puts in front of him, we see a path forward based on his relationship with God that you and I can emulate today. And the first is that the Holy Spirit helps us have a right relationship with control. The Holy Spirit helps us to have a right relationship with control. You know, much of our conversation this morning has been about Satan and Jesus. And in doing so, we've only focused on two of the three characters that are part of this story. We can easily overlook the fact that the Holy Spirit is there. And the Holy Spirit was the one who brought Jesus, who led Jesus into the wilderness. And the Holy Spirit was still there with him to support him and help him navigate and discern the various suggestions that the devil makes. And for you and I, if we are followers of Jesus, we likewise have that same spirit at work in us who serves as our guide, who who equips us to engage life. And as we learn to recognize the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're going to experience the Holy Spirit helping us to have a healthy relationship with all sorts of things, and, and control is one of those things. And to help us recognize that, hey, life isn't just about us but reminds us that we are a part of this great big thing that God is doing. And as his followers, we have a role to play in this kingdom of God. Now, if the Holy Spirit is unfamiliar to you, you are not alone. And this is the point where I is going to remind us that back last spring in June, I believe, we did a three-part series on the Holy Spirit that included uh, one message that was just about responding and engaging the questions that we had about the Holy Spirit. And if you uh, missed that or you'd like to refresher on that, we are going to post the, the link to those teaching points. In our, they're in our sermon notes this morning, but they should also be uh, up on the post, uh, our teaching post later this week as well. So you can find that there if you want to go back to it. And uh, if you're like me and you're revisiting teaching, um, I'm not offended if you up the speed, the playback speed from one to one and a half. Okay? Not offended by that. That's okay. The second thing is that, the second thing that we see Jesus doing here is we see that engaging scripture helps us to have a right relationship with control. And as, we, as Hannah read that, I hope that you noticed that each time Jesus responds to Satan, he, he responds by quoting Scripture. Now, I'm not sure that what Jesus is doing here is he's using Scripture as a weapon to try to fight off and defeat Satan. That's not what's happening here. Rather, what Jesus is doing is, is, is he's using Scripture to remind him about the things that he already knows 
It is a tool that is helping him see through the subtleties of what Satan is suggesting him, is suggesting to him, and the scripture is reminding him of what does it mean for him to live within his identity and his purpose and his calling? What does it mean to live within that? Now, it's unfortunate that at times, Scripture reading sometimes gets understood as if God is a teacher who is grading us and he, because he cares about whether we complete our assigned reading. Sometimes that's how Scripture reading gets talked about, and it's too bad. Because the purpose of reading Scripture is so that we can engage in this relationship that we have with God, so that we can make space to hear Him speak to us, that we can make space to be reminded of what is true, and, and, and we, can ha- help, we can be putting ourselves in a position to, to help, have Him help us navigate the complexities of life in light of His love for us. And one of the ways that we can have a proper relationship with something like control is to engage Scripture so that God's priorities can influence us. And this is where the Holy Spirit often shows up. That when we find ourselves in circumstances and situations where things, something needs to be navigated, the Holy, what the Holy Spirit often does is bring in words and phrases and pieces, stories from Scripture, brings it to mind in timely ways as prompts for us to reflect and think about what it is that God is calling us to do in a particular situation. You know, our relationship with control is complicated. You know, on the one hand, we realize that God has given each of us the ability to think and reason for ourselves, and he has not designed, designed us to be mindless robots who just do whatever, whatever other people tell us to do. And so exercising control over the things of our lives is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it would be irresponsible if we didn't. But on the other hand, we have the ability to take our relationship with control too far the other way and to make life totally about us. Sometimes our motivation, plain and simple, is kind of selfish. And other times, I think, it, I think we can find ourselves thinking about seizing control as being necessary for various reasons. I mean, if somebody doesn't do that, who is going to? If somebody doesn't take control of this, who knows what's going to happen? The thing is, if we spend too much time here, then we'll run, run the risk of losing sight of what really matters. But God has created us to be at our best when we are walking in a relationship with him. And this includes how we exercise our ability to control our circumstances with whatever level of control we happen to have. And he invites us to trust him to help us navigate life, discerning what is good, what is loving, what is faithful to the calling that he has for us. And for some of us, though, this process of trusting God and and leaning into that relationship is going to feel like giving up. It's going to feel like we are giving up control of things that we have for a long time held tightly to. That we have been the be-all and the end-all of some of these decisions that we've made. And in the process, what Jesus is asking us to do is be a little bit more open-handed. To say, God, what would you like me to do in this circumstance? God, could you shape how I think about life? And that can feel scary. But in doing so, what we find is we find something so much better, so much richer, something that was missing because we were trying to make it all happen all on our own. Again, let me invite you back here later on today for our reset retreat. As we create space for us to meet with God and allow God to speak to us, 
And perhaps as you come here today or you come here tomorrow, you're, you're going to come with, with a decision that's in front of you and your family. And, and you might just walk around. My favorite room here is the prayer labyrinth downstairs. And that's because I don't sit still very well. And me walking around, being able to talk to God, I, it starts with me kind of whining and complaining, saying, this is what I want. And by the end of the labyrinth, I'm in a place to listen and to say, God, I'm open to what you want to say. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe that'll be a part of how you regain having a healthy relationship with control in light of your relationship with God. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the fact that you have gathered us as your people, and Lord, we've been able to worship you and to do so freely. God, we're grateful for the ways in which you speak as we gather together through words of encouragement in the foyer, through the words that we have sung together, through the words of Scripture. And God, it is our prayer that you would use this time to form us, to shape how we think, to shape what is important to us, God. Lord, we recognize that too often life becomes about us. And Lord, we need opportunities to be refocused, to be recentered, Lord, to be corrected even. God, would you be gentle with us in our corrections? But would you be clear? Thank you for who you are, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.